welcome to the Rockefeller Center's podcast, Rocky Talk. My name is Shadi Mevrazan, and I'm a 22 at Dartmouth. Today, I'm joined by Jake Tapper, anchor and chief Washington correspondent at CNN and member of the class of 1991. Mr. Tapper is a journalist who began his career at the Washington City paper Salon.com and ABC News before joining CNN in 2013. Now, he is the host of two programs, Believe with Jake Tapper and State of the Union and recently returned to Dartmouth virtually to discuss his thoughts on the aftermath of the 2020 election, as well as the future of journalism and politics. The following conversation was pre-recorded shortly after his visit. Hello, Mr. Taffer. Thank you so much for being here today. It's a a great pleasure to to be able to talk to you. Um, You guys can call me. Oh, great. Uh, I just had a couple of questions on um, kind of your thoughts on the election and, and kind of the role of journalism and how that's perhaps evolved over the past four years. Starting with, um, firstly, what has been your takeaway from your coverage of the election that you kind of bring with you to, to future coverage of political races, whether that be midterms or or, um, or actual next presidential elections? Is there anything new you've picked up or things you'd rather not do again, perhaps? Uh, I mean, I think the big lesson for 2020 was what I learned in 2018, which was in 2018, I said something that uh, that was, uh, I think, misunderstood, or or perhaps I, I didn't say it as as clearly as I should have. Actually, let me scratch that. I didn't say it as clearly as I should have, uh, and that was uh, I said at that point I didn't see evidence of a blue wave, uh, and it was relatively early in the night. Uh, we'd seen some Democratic pickups, but there was still a lot of counting going on. We still didn't know what was going to happen in California. Uh, I was really mainly responding to the re-election of, uh, to the defeat of some uh, Democratic senators and the fact that um, Republicans won the Senate and governor's race in Florida. But obviously there was ultimately a blue wave in the House. And um, so, so what I said sounded as though I was saying it didn't exist. And it was my, again, my, it was my mistake. Um, and from learning from that uh, premature assessment of the results, we, we, I made sure not to do that again in 2020, which was <clears throat> we all made sure everybody understood that the counting was going to take time and that there were going to be a lot of trends that people needed to be aware of, such as states that counted their vote by mail were going to seem much stronger for Biden early. Uh, and states that had not yet accounted vote by mail were going to see much stronger for Trump early. And so there was a lot more preparation by me, and that's also preparation for the viewers. So my lesson for 2020 was one that I learned two years ago. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, kind of based on that, uh, in, in yesterday's event, you kind of mentioned when you're looking forward to spending more of your time on air, kind of discussing issues of substance, policy issues um, of substance, maybe what role can or even should the media play in kind of investing everyday people in the policy implications of issues that affect their everyday lives? Yeah, that's that's what our job should be. But unfortunately, because this president has chosen to behave the way he, he behaves um, in terms of not just tweets, but in terms of trying to undermining in terms of undermining, you know, foundational uh, guardrails of our democracy in terms of the media, the news media, in terms of the judiciary, the independent judiciary, in terms of law enforcement, and on and on, um, we've been focusing a lot on on that. Um, I suspect uh, that future presidents, including Joe Biden, 
will be much more focused on um, initiating policy changes for better or for worse that we can discuss and debate, such as, for instance, whatever changes he's going to try to make to Obamacare, whatever changes he's going to try to make uh, regarding education or climate change or tax policy. And those will be things that we can discuss in greater detail um, because we will not have to be covering. Look, I mean, one of the things about the news media in the last four years is that we saw the abdication of responsibility of entire branches of government, the, the Senate Republicans, House Republicans, just refusing to stand up for things that are just American values. And so people in the news media often filled the void. I, I am happy to not have to do that anymore. I do not want to be doing that. I do not want to spend my time talking about peaceful transfers of power, things that are just like normal, basic standards that we've all gotten used to. I would much rather be focusing on, you know, healthcare debates uh, for better or for worse in terms of various proposals. Look, there's a lot about Obamacare that didn't work for people. Um, and we would discuss that on my show and we would debate it on my show. Um, but that air has been filled up and hopefully we can go back to those discussions and debates. Do you think there's a kind of a difference um, in the obligation of a network to kind of fulfill this versus the obligation of a journalist or do those kind of work hand in hand? What do you mean by network? Like a news network? You mean like CNN? Yeah, like you... CNN versus like the journalists that appear on CNN. Well, I mean, it's all the same. I mean, I think we're all supposed to, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we've yeah. been doing at CNN um, to a larger extent. That makes sense, yeah. Um, you also mentioned kind of uh, briefly like yesterday the Overton window and kind of, kind of the Overton window of of the increasing ability of like journalists to challenge untrue statements by calling them blatant lies. Um, yeah. Do you do you kind of see this window like ever closing per se um, with the return of what may be considered by our standards a more normal administration? No, because because Trumpism, even if Trump goes away and he's not going away. And, but even if we in the media, you know, don't give him as much oxygen, his daily rants on Twitter or whatever platform he's given on on Fox or, or uh, any of his um, the, the MAGA friendly media, Trumpism, <clears throat> which is the embrace of conspiracy theories, uh, the freedom to smear, the freedom to lie, has now been injected into the bloodstream of American politics and more specifically Republican politicians. And that is not going away. We saw the House Minority Leader yesterday saying that, you know, he didn't know who was going to be sworn in as president on January 20th. Yes, we do. We all know who's going to be sworn in as president January 20th. You know, so this, so I guess my point is, we will continue to need to call out these lies and, and um, as long as that is prevalent in the Republican Party. There's at least one uh, QAnon adherent who has been elected to Congress, uh, if not more. 
I mean, unfortunately, this is going to be something that we have to do. I just, there need to be louder voices in the media doing it, uh, especially in my view with network news, which could be doing a lot more of it. Yeah. How do you, how do you think? As opposed to cable news, I mean, I'm cable news. I'm talking about network news. How do you, how do you think that like plays a role maybe in how um, the electorate uh, changes or changes like the basis or standards by which they judge elected officials? Well, unfortunately, what's going on is that there is a, that there is a, there are tens of millions of Americans who are being misled and have been misled uh, by President Trump and his supporters. Um, again, I'm not I'm not talking about, you know, trade policy, which, you know, I, I said um, yesterday, uh, you know, was something I thought President Trump was 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 right about. Uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I'm not talking about, you know, whether or not President Trump was right when he said, you know, that there's, you know, when he condemned the swamp in Washington, D.C., or any of the things that he says that I, you know, that I think he has a point on. There, he, he's, not, he's not wrong about that stuff. But he combines that with misleading his supporters about uh, anytime anyone tries to prevent any sort of oversight over him, uh, such as, for instance, the American people, which just fired him, uh, you know, with a five to seven million vote popular uh, margin between him and, and Joe Biden on the electoral and uh, popular vote. And, you know, I think it's more than I haven't checked it really, but it's a significant electoral uh, college uh, margin as well. And he's just lying about it. He's misleading about it. And it's 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 corrosive to American politics because you have a whole bunch of citizens who are being misled and thus are becoming outraged about things that they should not be outraged by. So it, it, I wish it were the, as simple as Joe Biden's president. Uh, now we can all go back to normal. We I don't think it's going to be that simple because when people mislead their supporters that that is corrosive and that's going to be very difficult for the United States going forward as, as someone who kind of remembers I don't know if it was I think it was 2008 like their first memory of like watching an election I think Obama and McCain and seeing in particular the magic wall on CNN I think was for the first time they used it it's it's particularly notable to me at least that kind of this like this election 12 years later we see you know most major major networks kind of having their own magic wall of sorts and this big incorporation of data into how we process the election and process where our country is at politically um, and so, so where do you kind of see this kind of ever evolving role of data and visualizations and the way that viewers choose to disseminate information and how does that kind of change your angle or your work as a journalist? Well, I mean, I think one of the things about CNN and we had more viewers uh, than, um, uh, than anyone else, including the news networks uh, that on election week, um, one of the things uh, is that the American people were more, re- re- sorry, re- rewarded, uh, CNN by watching us on uh, on election week. And there are a lot of um, folks trying to copy our uh, the way we cover these things. Um, but 
they tuned into us. So it's good. It's it's nice to see people. I wasn't at CNN in two thousand eight, but I've been an admirer of John King on the Magic Wall for years. I it's 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 just brilliant and great watching him. He has such an encyclopedic mind uh, about these things, and also. Uh, it's just you really you, you understand it in a way that is really helpful to the voter. I mean, think about 2016 when we were all watching Donald Trump win. John King was there to explain how he was winning, where he was winning. And it really provides a level of um, understanding for the public and also reassurance that this is legitimate. This is how Donald Trump is winning, or this is how Joe Biden is winning. You see the votes, you see the counties. Um, so people are like, well, how did this happen? Whether it's Trump supporters or, or, or Democrats, how did this happen? Well, you're seeing it. You're seeing how it's happening. Uh, and one of the things I also thought was very helpful this year or this election season, uh, this because it wasn't just an election night, it was an election week, was um, Rick Santorum, the senator, former senator from Pennsylvania, looking at the election results out of Pennsylvania and talking about, you know, while Democrats, I mean, um, while Trump supporters were alleging fraud out of Philadelphia, looking at the numbers and saying, Donald Trump is actually winning more votes in Philadelphia, the city, and a higher percentage in 2020 than he did in 2016. So anybody making this argument that the election is being stolen in Philadelphia, that doesn't make any sense. He's winning more votes in Philadelphia than he did before. Um, I just think that that kind of knowledge uh, and, and that kind of data is so helpful in terms of providing confidence that the American people can have in the results, whether that, or not they like the results. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and then finally, just I like to ask this of every alum I meet, um, but what is the most surprisingly useful thing you've learned or experienced at Dartmouth? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think, I, I don't think I learned it, but uh, I started to experience it. So it helped was uh, criticism um, because I had the the daily comic strip in or it started off semi semi daily and then ended up daily comic trip in the daily d um and it was political in nature uh or so you know or social talked about you know sociological politics i should say um and some people liked it and some people didn't and people would write letters to the d and people and not just students but like you know assistant deans and the like and um it made me uh it just was the first time I experienced that kind of public criticism from people I didn't know. And, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, you get used to. Um, but it's, 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 uh, that was the first time I experienced it. So I wouldn't, again, I, I wouldn't say I like left Dartmouth, like impervious to criticism with a thick skin. I didn't, but, but it was the, it was the beginning of it. So that was, uh, that was helpful, but I just love my, I mean, you know, Dartmouth is a lot more than preparing for the real world. It was also just, you know, great education, amazing friends, beautiful experiences, everything you guys know. Yeah. it's a great point. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Of course. My pleasure. The Rockefeller Center and myself would like to thank Mr. Tapper for joining us. It was a pleasure to speak with him.
To our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Until next time. This podcast is a production of the Nelson A. Rockefeller Center for Public Policy and the Social Sciences. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not of the Rockefeller Center. This episode was produced and edited by Laura Howard. We hope you will join us for our next episode. And if you want more information, you can find us at rockefeller.dartmouth.edu.